Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This has been the reading of God's Word. You can be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of politics. Uh, I don't know if you are yet. You might be one of the, the real, like, supercharged junkies who really, really get into this thing. And, and, and I'm a guy who, I, I, I like to think like I stay, I stay up to date with what's going on. I, I follow politics and news. I try to be well-informed. I find it fairly interesting and it's something that I follow, but I don't know when exactly it happens. Sometime in the past seven or eight days, I, I just, it just, every other conversation Everything on TV, every other advertisement, even when I'm trying to watch something else, just everything is about politics, about an election, which we're apparently having in 48 hours. And somewhere in there in the last seven or eight days, it just kind of clicked for me, and I'm like, I'm done. I've just kind of had my, my fill. And it's not just that it's overkill. It's not just that it's so many different ads and so many different conversations and so many heated conversations between your family and friends. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you're kind of dancing around the, the subject in the room and maybe you're not even dancing around it. Maybe you just kind of jump right into it and like there's like comments back and forth and you know threats and all kinds of things. It's not just the overkill of it all. It's the, the sense of, I think, hopelessness for me. Uh, just a, a little bit like, just thinking like, hey, no matter what happens in 48 hours, that things are just so broken that I just don't know that it can be fixed. Uh, that, that no matter what happens, that I don't think it's gonna be over. Like, I don't think we're gonna get over the hump and things are gonna be okay and peaceful and all right. And, and I think that that's, an unusual thing for us as Americans, but it's not an unusual for thing for most people in the world, and it's not an unusual thing for most Christians throughout history. Most people throughout history, their nation is not so wealthy, and their people are not so powerful and so wealthy that they're able to overlook and think that the kingdom is here and now, but Christians throughout the ages, going back to Christ, and even before that time, have been looking forward to a kingdom that is coming in the future. Christians haven't in the past been seduced by the idea that we can have utopia and perfection now because we know it only comes under the rule and reign of the good king, Jesus Christ. So today we gather here as Christians on the eve of an election and we gather here in hope. We don't gather in hopelessness, we gather in hope. You know why? Because the result of our future is, is not dependent upon the result of the next couple of days for us or even the next few years for us. We gather here this morning as an outpost of the new kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
We gather here as a part of Jesus's new kingdom, a, a new kingdom that has already begun to dawn since Christ and through the church age has begun to dawn. And one day the sun will rise with healing in his wings and every tear will be wiped away and every wrong will be righted. And all the kingdoms of this world will be done away with. They will be eclipsed as a sun coming out eclipses the light of candles that are lit. King Jesus is returning. And we stand today as Christians as a part of that kingdom that has already begun to dawn. That's what the church is. I don't know what you think about what the church is, but that's what the church is. It's a foretaste. It's an outpost of the kingdom that, is all, that has begun to dawn and is coming and will one day eclipse all other kingdoms. And, and this is a kingdom that you want to be a part of. This is a kingdom that you desire to be a part of. Listen to what life in that kingdom is like. This is from a, a passage that we've been studying recently as a church in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. If you have your Bible, you can look there. If not, then just listen. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Just pause here for a minute. Imagine what life would be like if you lived in a society where this, what we've described so far, is the rule of life. Imagine what it would be like to be a part of a society where every person that you encounter and every day that you live, every situation that you find, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Can you imagine what life would be like if that was like what our country was like? If that's what the kingdom that we lived in and every person that we interacted with was like? Can you imagine how amazing and how glorious and how desirable that would be? That's a kingdom that you want to be a part of. And that's what the church is the dawning of. In all of our imperfections, in all of our brokenness, in all of our gathering in a gymnast, in all of our confusion, in all of our not sure about where to stand on social issues and political issues and, and other issues of the day, and even under, not even be able to, to always come to grips with what type of music we should sing or how the service flow should go or what should happen with the kids or what my community group would be like, whatever those things, the differences that exist, can you imagine what it would be like if the church looked like the church is supposed to look like under the rule and reign of King Jesus an outpost, a dawning of the new kingdom of God. Uh, today, we are taking part of a little bit of a different service for us. Uh, today, we're gathering as a church to, to worship the Lord, and a part of what we're doing here this morning, a big part, is we're installing three new elders at Doxa Church. Uh, 
elders are, if you're new to the deal and you're not quite sure, you're like, I, I don't understand why you're calling them elders and you're all not very old. And what an elder is, is that elders are the, the leaders of a local church. And today we're gonna install David Cassidy, Justin Kramer. Uh, David, why don't you raise your hand for everybody? Justin Kramer and Tad Deckard as elders at Doxa Church. Uh, these men have been tested and they've been approved by you, the congregation. And here's why I've been talking about the kingdom the way I have. Because Christ-like leaders are a key part of showing off Jesus' new kingdom. Do you know that's what the church is supposed to be doing? You guys, as a part of the church, we together as the church are supposed to be the, the showing off or the showcasing of the new kingdom of Jesus. And it's important, the Christ-like leaders are an important part of that showing off because people in the church and people around the church can see in Christ-like leaders of the church a different kind of leadership under a different kind of capital L leader. Jesus Christ alone is the leader of his church. He's the head of his church. But us small L leaders are supposed to showcase or show off a different kind of leadership in a different kind of kingdom under a different kind of king. See, we can't look towards a human government for our hope. We can't look to a human government as our hope. Only the rule and reign of King Jesus brings lasting peace and justice. And it is coming. Scripture tells us that it will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, the new kingdom of Jesus. But it's also here in our midst as the church. And that's what we're celebrating and commemorating today. Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 14. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You hear that peace word again? And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. The first thing that Paul tells us here in this passage is that the, the church respects Christ-like leaders. The church respects Christ-like leaders. And the first thing he says about that is in verse 12 when he says, we ask you, or the, the wording there is, we beseech you, or we, we call upon you. And he's, as, a, as an apostle, he's calling upon the church to respect those who labor among you. That word respect really it has the, the idea, it's not just like, uh, like, obviously it has to do with respect, but it's not just like, oh, think of, how, think of how great they are. It says to acknowledge or set aside. It's not about titles or power. It's about acknowledging or recognizing those who lead in your midst. It means this is what we do as the church in the new kingdom of Jesus. It means that we set aside leaders for the work of leadership. We set aside leaders like this who are like Jesus for the work of leadership. Now notice it says he, we don't set them aside to a position. These three men today, we are not setting them aside as elders of Doxa Church to a position. They don't hold an authority simply because they will hold a title after this day. Titles mean very little in the kingdom of Jesus. 
In fact, Jesus gave us some warnings on his life about not to to be very careful about grasping titles for ourselves. Instead, what leadership looks like in the kingdom of Jesus, it's not about a title or a position that therefore I hold this title or I hold this position, so therefore you guys have to show me deference. Leadership in the kingdom of Jesus is based upon work, not a position. Leadership in the kingdom of Jesus is about service, not being served. It's about being on the bottom and not being on the top. It's about setting the standard in the body of Christ for how leaders should look because Jesus set the standard before us. And that's why Paul says that respect those who labor among you. That word labor, he says Christ-like leaders work hard. That word there means to toil or to strive or to struggle. It's the picture of a, of a person who works with their hands out in the field in the hot summer sun. It's someone who works hard and labors and sweats. They toil and they strive. It's work that is necessarily weary. My dad was in construction. When he would come home at the end of the day, if he did his job, he was going to be tired and exhausted. There was no way to do his job and not be tired and exhausted at the end of the day. He worked in the sun whenever it's hot. He worked in the cold whenever it was winter. He worked hard with his hands. They carried things. They did things. They worked and strived and toiled and sweated for the work that had to be done. Then work was necessarily wearying. And Paul says that the work of leaders, those who are called to be leaders and set aside to be leaders in our midst, is hard work. It is toil and it is striving. You excited, guys? It's by the sweat of your brow. It's not so that you can have a title and the church can come and serve you. It's so that we can serve the church. You're appointed today, Doxa, not leaders who will be, who simply you will be under, but it's leaders who will be serving you so that the image of Christ can be formed in your midst. And that is hard work because as Dale mentioned in the announcements, coming against the kingdom of darkness is hard work. Even when Christ is the heavy lifting. This is what it means to be a leader in Jesus' new kingdom. Leaders lead under Jesus, gentlemen. They lead under Jesus in the same way that he led and he still leads today. In Matthew 10, 42 through 45, Jesus called them the uh, disciples to his midst. And he called them because James and John had come to him and said, hey, Jesus, just between us, when you bring in your kingdom, can you make sure that one of us at least gets to sit at your right hand, the place of honor? And the other people who heard it around, all the other disciples, they got bothered. How dare they ask you and how dare you even consider this, Jesus? Jesus said to them, do you even know what you ask? It's a bitter cup that you ask to drink from. And they said, yeah, we know exactly what we ask. We want it. Let us be the ones who are sitting at your right hand and your left hand. This is what Jesus said to them. He called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. You guys have experienced that, right? You see it in life. It can be your boss. It can be your big boss or just your immediate boss, as soon as someone gets power over other people, they are tempted to exercise and lord it over the people around you. And it's not learned behavior. It is innate with us. Just watch kids in the playground. Our 
economic system, our political system, and not just ours, every human political and economic system is built on man trying to find a way to lord it over his fellow man. But he says this, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That's what it means to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Why? For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the kind of leader that Jesus was and is. This is the kind of king that Jesus was and is. He served us all the way to the cross. And scripture tells us that he serves us even now. Can you imagine that? The king of glory serves us as believers. Doesn't that seem something not right about that? Yes, we serve him and we worship him, but it tells us that we do so because he loved us and he served us first. He reached out first to us whenever we were enemies of his throne. When we were set against him, he came after us and he served us. When we were spitting in his face, literally as human beings, he came and he served as a lamb led to the slaughter. That's the kind of king, that's the kind of leader that Jesus is and was. It says that he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, standing in the gap for us as believers. That's our Jesus. That's how beautiful and glorious and amazing that he is, that even we who are lowly in in every way in comparison to him, he came and he served us and loves us and not only served us, but is now, even now, serving us and loving us as believers. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He served us and he loves us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's what it means, gentlemen, to be a leader in the kingdom of God. And I think we can all agree in this room that if we have leaders that lead like that, those are easy leaders to follow. Because Jesus is an easy leader to follow. He said, come after me all you are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for it is, it is light. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He then says that, that they are over us, right? Or over you. These leaders are over us. But church leaders are over us, yes. But they are under Christ. That's because Jesus alone is the head of his church. He put all things under his feet and gave him, as Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This wording here, when it says, Uh, over you. When it says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That word over you has a dual meaning. It means leadership, but it also means those who protect and who lend aid. Here's what that means. All that we've been talking about means this, that in the kingdom of God, in the new kingdom of Jesus, servant leadership breeds authority. 
Authority doesn't come from a title. Servant leadership breeds authority. Not because of title or position, but out of love and service. And ultimately what we're saying is that love and service is not ours, but Christ's. Being over us means that Christ-like leaders admonish us. That word admonish you means this is advice and correction designed to change our moral conduct. Advice and correction designed to change our moral conduct. You know why being a leader in God's kingdom is hard? Because most of us aren't exactly excited to have our conduct changed, right? Let's just be honest. There's parts of my conduct I would like to see changed, but I don't want to see it changed enough to actually change it. That's why I'm still the same way as I was. And I need, as I, I need godly leaders to come to me and admonish me, push me, correct me, show me the truth of God's word so that I can be changed to grow in the image of Christ. He says Christ-like leaders should be those who we can esteem. He says esteem them. That means that we hold them in high regard. It's not about respecting them from afar. It's an esteem that's characterized by love based in relationship. Here's what I know. There are some leaders that you guys have seen from afar and you admired them. And the more you got to know them, the less you admired them. A godly leader, the more you get to know them, the more you esteem them. Not because of their perfection, not because they're always morally hitting it out of the park, but because their life is marked by love and humility to Jesus Christ. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. He makes a turn here in the passage where he's not just talking about how we should esteem or think about or set aside the leaders who are in our midst, but he's giving a, a dual command here. He, he's saying that everyone in our midst should be doing these things. And what he's saying is that the leaders who are, we set aside in our midst should be setting the pace in these four things. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Paul gives these four instructions to the entire church, to the entire church where the leaders are called to lead the way or to set the example. As we set aside these men today to be elders at Doxa Church, what we are not doing together as a congregation is setting them aside to do the work while we sort of like reap the benefits of their service. We're setting them aside to do the work so that we as the body of Christ can be equipped to do the work of ministry so that we can be formed in the image of Christ and we could do and fill the roles, we as a congregation and we individually, we could fill the roles that God has called us to do. He gave the apostles, Ephesians 4, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The job of these three men, men, your role is to serve these people behind you and to equip them to do the work of ministry. Your success is not placed upon how great a job you do in your particular roles as leaders, whether it's teaching or leading a ministry, 
Your success in your roles will be whether these people behind you and those that God will bring into our midst are equipped to fulfill their calling to be the ministers that God has called them to be in the church. Our measure of success is not how great I do in my role as a leader or how you great you do in your role as a leader. It's how great a job we do in releasing our people to do the work of ministry that God has called them to be. Success is not ruled by how great a, do, a job we do in this room, but how they scatter into their neighborhoods and homes and workplaces and fulfill God's calling upon them in those places. David, Justin, and Tad, this is my charge to you today. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. The idle that need to be admonished, they're not lazy, though there are lazy people in the church. But the wording here has to do with people who are disorderly or undisciplined or disruptive. What it means is that all of us who sometimes fall into these places, whenever we are going against the commands of God, we need leaders who will come and admonish us. And Dr. Church today, by the way, as we lay hands on these men today and they accept the charge to be your elders, you are saying, and what you have been saying is I give you permission to admonish me whenever I am idle, when I'm disruptive, when I'm undisciplined, when I'm not obeying the commands of our Lord. I, I give you permission to admonish me for the sake of my soul, for the sake of my greater joy. Those, that's who needs to be admonished. The second is encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted gentlemen are those who are timid and discouraged. What Paul is saying here is not to look down on those who are timid and who are discouraged. Because you, yourselves, have known discouragement. They're not to be looked down upon or given up on, but rather they're to be encouraged. Encourage them. Help them. Encourage them to not give up and help them not to give up. Support them and promote here in our midst a culture of support, a culture of encouragement where people don't feel embarrassed to admit that they are faint-hearted or timid or discouraged. But they are feel free to own exactly where they are and exactly what they're feeling, exactly where they are in their life and that we can encourage them and open up the scripture to them and by the power of the spirit of God, see them become encouraged and no longer be faint-hearted. But that may take a long time. That may not be one or two conversations. It might be days and weeks and months and years that you will walk with those who are faint-hearted. Continue to encourage them, men, because Christ continues to encourage us. He says, thirdly, help the weak. We are, as a society, we are prone and by nature, we look down on those who are weak. Those who lack social status or power, those who continually struggle, who can struggle economically and spiritually. And there are those in our midst that just, they seem to always be struggling, right? And in our society, we tend to look away because we live in a meritocracy and the worst thing that you can be in a meritocracy is weak. Unable to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. 
But here's what we know, gentlemen, as leaders, that weakness is the way into Jesus's new kingdom. It's not a disqualification from being a part of that kingdom. It is the way into the kingdom of God. No one comes except by admitting weakness. And we are all weak compared to God. And we know that in the kingdom of Jesus, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So therefore, gentlemen, build a, a culture here that celebrates weakness. Not celebrates people continue to be weak, but celebrates people admitting their weakness and coming to the one who has all strength and power for them. Lastly, gentlemen, Paul says, be patient with them all. And this is a charge to these men, but it's also a charge to all of us as a congregation today to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak in the middle of all that. Be patient with them all. Being a part of the church of God is being a part of a marathon. Gentlemen, dealing with people in everyday life is like dealing with, it's like yo-yoing upstairs. There are ups, ups and downs, but Jesus is generally taking us in a direction, but sometimes those downs feel really hard. And Jesus encourages you and he encourages you as a congregation, be patient with each other. Be long suffering and tolerant of each other in love. Gentlemen, you're called to set the pace in showing patience. In congregation, we're called to bear with patience with each other. You know what that means? Time out. That means this week in community group, or after church, hopefully around a, outside around a pig or in here eating barbecue and politics comes up and the other person has an asinine political opinion that you think is terrible and evil and harmful, it means you bear in loving patience with them because you know what? They're probably gonna have to bear in loving patience with you in return because none of us have the full picture. None of us understand what the God is doing. None of us have his perspective. And if we do that, gentlemen, if we do that congregation, if we build a kind of culture here where we encourage the faint-hearted and we admonish the idle, we build a culture that helps the weak, then that will stand in sharp contrast as we have servant leaders in our midst, serving us so that Christ is formed in us and we feel the calling that God has upon us that will stand in stark contrast to the rest of the world around us. And maybe, maybe people will come into our midst and say there's something different here. Therefore, King Jesus must be as amazing as he is made out to be. And hopefully, they will bow their knee to him and discover life in that kingdom. And our community will be marked by constant celebration. Guys, 
the baptismal waters outside are gonna be still today. We had one person scheduled to get baptized this morning and it was a great celebration and they're still gonna be baptized. There was an exposure to COVID and we had to call a timeout for this week. The baptismal waters will be still today. But you know what we're gonna do as a, as a congregation? We're gonna gather around those waters and we're gonna pray over those waters that it will become a regular occurrence in our midst. I pray it'll be a weekly occurrence in our midst, a monthly occurrence in our midst that we're pulling that horse trough out and dunking people down and pulling them out and seeing stories of lives and families and neighborhoods and workplaces and hard places and the greater community changed for the glory of God. It's getting darker out there. That doesn't take away our hope. It just encourages that we get to shine brighter if we do this thing. So gentlemen, let's do it. Congregation, let's do it. I'm gonna pray and these men are gonna come up and they're gonna kneel here, not to Dale and I, not to you guys, but before the Lord. Their wives are gonna stand behind them with their hands on them and they're gonna accept a charge from Dale on behalf of us as elders and you as a congregation. And then we're gonna lay hands on them and we're going to set them apart for the work of ministry to which God has called them. Then we're gonna to sing together and celebrate this holy moment and then we're gonna eat some smoked pork and fixins to the glory of God. Anticipating the feast that's coming one day when the new kingdom is all here in its power and glory. Let's pray. Father, we commit this moment and these men to you. Father, it's a holy moment. Not because we make it so, but because it is so by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would set apart these men for the work that you've called them. I pray that you would help us as a congregation to be all that you've called us to be. For your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen.